0: Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. And if you would, take your copy of God's Word and open to Luke, chapter 1. And we are looking this Advent season, this Christmas season, at the songs of the first Christmas. And if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked first at Mary's song, um, sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, um, and today we're gonna to look at the second song, the song of Zachariah. And now I'm just gonna warn you right now, at some point I'm gonna say Zacchaeus about ten times instead of Zachariah, because I always wanna say Zacchaeus. Uh but I mean Zachariah, okay? So <laughs> I'm just warning you up front. It's gonna it's gonna happen probably. Uh, this is this is uh you'll find this in Luke chapter one. Verses 67 through 79. And this really is the same theme, the same song that we saw with Mary, just the second verse, if you would. It is a song of Christ, of what God is doing, of the the coming of Christ. This is uh, a song of salvation, is what we will focus on, is a song of salvation, that God is redeeming his people. And uh, this is a song that took nine months to be written. If you remember, let me give you a, a brief review of the context that surrounds this because it's important for us to understand. Zechariah was a priest and he was in Jerusalem. He's an older man, maybe 60, 70, 80. Um, he, is, he is an older man. His wife is older. They've never had any children. He is a priest. He is a faithful man. Him and his wife are acknowledged as being righteous in the Old Testament sense of the word, that they were people who lived according to God's law and who loved God and served Him. And Zechariah finally got the opportunity that all priests wait their lifetime for, and that's the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and to serve inside the temple. And he went in to offer incense. And historians tell us this is something probably only one time in your life that you would have the opportunity to do as a priest And so Zechariah goes in. For 400 years there has been silence. For 400 years since the the prophet Malachi, God has not spoken. God said that that one will come. There there was the the prophecy of the one who will be John the Baptist. There is the prophecy of the Messiah who will come. And for 400 years there was silence. Nobody expected much of anything Zechariah went into the temple to serve, to do his duties as, as routine. And if you remember, it was anything but routine. As he went in, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, sent from God, and said that he and his wife would have a child. And that this child would be named John. And that he would be the forerunner to the Messiah. The one that 400 years ago approximately Malachi said would come uh, as, as the prophet Elijah was. That he would point the people to the Messiah. That he would prepare them for salvation. And at that moment, if you remember, Zechariah's in the temple and the angel Gabriel appears. And he says that this wonderful thing is going to happen. That his wife. His elderly wife is going to have a baby. And what does Zechariah do? He says, how do I know this? (laughs) Give me a sign. He doubts. He shows doubt. And um, if you read the text, I always read that that, that, uh, Gabriel sounds a little grumpy at this point. (laughs) Who are you to question me? Um, And he says, this is the sign. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Until this happens. Uh, I think the, the, the old King James says, You will be dumb. Uh, there's some question. It, it seems as though he could not hear and he could not speak. We know that he could not speak, but it seems also um, from the fact that they're signing to him instead of speaking to him, that he couldn't hear as well. So for nine months he couldn't communicate well what had happened and and there's a crowd gathered it says uh, waiting for him to come out and he comes out and they know that he's seen a sign but he can't explain to them exactly what it is because because of this encounter he has been made mute and deaf and so he he in silence finishes his priestly duties he returns home his wife elizabeth conceives and it says for Uh, for six months she hid herself and then we read about yesterday that that Luke's very interesting how he intermingles the stories of of the birth of Jesus and of John because it really shows and highlights how their ministries and the function and the role and how God did this was was intermingled and so Mary comes as we looked at last time and and visits Elizabeth and where we catch up now in in Luke after after Elizabeth comes we come back to John John is born to Elizabeth he is born and the the naming is a is a big ceremony it happens when the circumcision happens and so they're all gathered together all the family you can imagine all of the people this is a miraculous wonderful sign uh, you know and and an elderly woman who was barren her whole life with her elderly husband have given birth to a son. And so you can imagine the excitement of the family and the expectation is he will be Zachariah Jr. Oh, I did it, I didn't say Zacchaeus Jr. <laughs> He'll be Zachariah Jr. That's the anticipation. In that culture, that's what his name would have been. It would have represented that he would have followed in the footsteps of his father. He was of the priestly family. He would serve as a priest. But Elizabeth insists his name will be John. John. And everybody begins to... They're arguing. They're, no, he can't be John. He's got to be Zechariah. What will Zechariah think? Zachariah. It's got to be Zechariah. And so they, they communicate to him. They sign to him. They, they write. Somehow they get to him and they say, you know, his name's Zechariah, right? And he gets a tablet. And he writes, his name is John. And at that moment... It says that his tongue is loosed. It says, um, it, look, at, look at verse 64. It says, And at once his mouth opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak and praise God. Verse 65 goes, goes on to kind of show what happened. And then when we get to 67, it's it's actually what he said in this moment. But it, But what he said, this is the reaction. It says, fear came to all of those living around them, and all of these matters were being talked about through the hill country of Judea. They made the, they made, made all the gossip, (laughs) right? The gospel, the gospel by gossip, one commentator said here. All who heard kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? Why? Because God had given him miraculously to elderly parents because God had sealed the mouth of His Father until this moment when, when just at the right time His Father opens His mouth and begins to speak these things that we'll see in the song. And it was such a sign. It was so amazing. Remember, the people had not seen anything like this for 400 years. And now God is doing something amongst His people and so, look with me, if you would. Let's read together. We'll, we'll read what, his, what he says here. After, after this time of silence, after this time of not being able to speak, after thinking on all of these things, what we're going to have here in Zechariah's song is a song that's full of Old Testament depth. Um, uh, John MacArthur, a pastor in California, he did eight messages on Zechariah's song, going through all of the covenants and all of the covenant promises that this touches on, it is that kind of depth is revealed in here. Now we're going to do it in one, <laughs> or else we'd have to postpone Christmas. So um, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it in one week. But the, the depth here—you can't—you can't help but imagine that for nine months, as he sat silent thinking about what the angel had told him, thinking about what he had seen, thinking about the reaction of Elizabeth when Mary came, having his Lord in in Mary there with him, watching it all happen, the Holy Spirit testifying to him and seeing it and, and being a priest, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the law, knowing the prophets thinking about all of the places that this has been foretold, all of the promises that are coming to light. Oh, how the people need this salvation that's coming. It's been stirring in him, stirring in him, while he has been waiting silent. So look with me. I'll read, begin reading in verse 67. It says, And the father, Zach, Zach, Zacchaeus, Zacharias, was filled... <laughs> That's where it gets me because this says Zachari- Zach- ah, Zacharias. That makes me think Zacchaeus. Okay, then the father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we that to grant us being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days and you child "...will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare His ways to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise, on high, the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness." and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray now that You would reveal to us Your wonderful mercy, Your your wonderful grace. Reveal to us the depth and the the knowledge of salvation as Zechariah understood it as he sat and contemplated about what your salvation would mean. Father, may we find our hope ultimately in Christ. May we find our trust in Christ. I pray, Lord, now for anyone here who is unsure of their salvation, who doubts of Christ's ability to save, who doubts of their ability to receive salvation. Father, through your Spirit, would you reveal to all of us the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that is found in this child in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Zachariah's song at its heart is a song of salvation you'll notice here that he mentions the concept of redemption in verse 68 he speaks of salvation in verse 69 71 and 77 and he speaks of being delivered in verse 74 the main message here that is in this song the main the main theme in which he is trying to say is that because of God's tender mercy don't you love that how he says that The tender mercy of God. Because of the tender of mercy of God, He provides salvation for those who are in desperate need. He works and He provides the salvation. That is the theme that is here. That is the overarching theme that I want us to understand and to see is this tender mercy of God that results in the salvation of those who are in need. So I want to develop five themes about salvation that we can see from this text. The first is that salvation comes to those who see that they are in desperate need. The ones who see that they need to be saved. Zacharias states that God, in verse 68, has visited and has redeemed his people. Now, now think about this. Nine months before, he's in the temple. Gabriel says God's going to do these things. How does he respond? Could, Could you give me a sign? Can can we make sure about this? I mean, that's, that's pretty big. Now listen to him. Now look at what he says. Has Jesus been born yet? Has he seen the Christ child yet? Has Jesus accomplished redemption yet? No, these things are still going to happen, but he believes he has faith now from seeing this, from encountering this. When the Holy Spirit fills him and he says that God has visited and has redeemed his people. He has visited and he has redeemed his people. Now, this word redemption implies the idea of bondage. Think of a slave. A slave needs to be redeemed. We are slaves to sin, we are in need of redemption, we are in need of salvation. We are in need of God to work and to do for us that which we cannot do. Now, a in, in lot of this text has to deal with Israel and prophecies and the nation, but don't just read it there because this does have individual application. If you doubt that, look at verse 77. In verse 77, Zechariah, as he's speaking of John, as he's speaking of the son, of the one who will come, this is what he is to do. He will give knowledge of salvation to His people and what? The forgiveness of their sins. This is not just national promises. This is not just a national prophecy for Israel. But this is an application that we see fulfilled in Christ. That John the Baptist prepares the way for our salvation, for Christ to come, to preach the good news, to die on the cross for us, that we may receive not only salvation... But ultimately, the forgiveness of our sins, which is what we need more than anything else. The point here is that God knows that we have a need, He knows that that we are in sin, He knows that, that we need Him to work on our behalf. We are in desperate need it's only those that are in desperate need to which God can save. It's only those who are in desperate need who acknowledge their their sin that come to salvation. Do you know that? Do you see yourself as one who is in desperate need? I've met many Christians who speak as though God saved them because there wasn't that much, you know, for him to do, right? I, you know, I was I, I was a pretty good guy. You know, I I went to church growing up. You know, I I knew everything as a kid. I I I didn't really get in big trouble. Have we heard these testimonies, right? I, I didn't really I didn't really get in big trouble. I didn't really ever do anything really bad. Friends, that might be the case if you compare yourself. Jeffrey Dahmer (laughs) but the truth is before God we are all sinners the truth is if we break one bit of the law we have broken all of the law the truth is is that we all are due the penalty and the wrath of our sin you don't have to be the worst guy in the world to be a sinner to be guilty of God's judgment Do you understand that? Do you know that? Do you recognize your sin? Are you able to say, I was a helpless sinner. I am one who broke God's law. I am one who despised God. I am one who deserved God's punishment because of my sin. But God. Don't you love that? One of my favorite verses in Ephesians. But God being rich in mercy. But God having tender mercy if we look at this song here, saved us. The first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize our need. We have to recognize our need for salvation. The the need, the, 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 the desperate need that we have for God to save us. Friends, if you can do that, that is the first bit that you need for God to redeem you. For God to save you is we first have to recognize our need. Are you willing to do that? Have you done that? Do you think about salvation in that way? That's what true salvation is. Is that we recognize our need. Second, is it salvation? Second thing that we can observe from here is that salvation is God's doing, not ours. If it were up to us, we would be hopeless. We have no way to save ourselves. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. You can't do anything on your own to atone for your sin. Now some people try to earn salvation that way. Some people try to earn righteousness that way. They write big checks or they they come to services such as this with the idea that if I go enough, God will have to love me because I did time. (laughs) Or... Or perhaps we've met individuals that say if I help others enough, if if I can help others to do more good than I did bad, then that'll work. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's not how God saves us. You are deceiving yourself if you think that that will lead to salvation. For God is the one that works salvation. Uh, We see this in verses 68 and 78. It says that God visited us. We did not go searching for him, but God came searching for us. We see this all throughout here. Um, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and accomplished redemption in his people. That's, That's pretty clear cut that God is the one at work doing this, right? God is the one at work who has worked this wonderful plan of salvation that has made ultimately our salvation possible, the the redemption of of ourselves, the, the forgiveness of sins. He understood our desperate situation, and He acted. And verse 78 is wonderful. It says, why did He do this? Because of His tender mercy. Because of His great love for you. Because of His great love for us. There are evidences of our salvation throughout this. Look at verse 69. It says, He raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now this is kind of a funny way to talk about it. Uh, I I don't know if I want... If I were going to talk about something powerful, I don't think I would use horn, right? I would use horsepower. Okay? Thrust. You know, something, a different descriptor. But, but go back to this day. And the most powerful thing that existed was pretty much the oxen. Right? It's like a huge tractor. It was a sign of power. It is what they used to, to move things and to get around. It was, it's a statement of power. The, the, the horn represents the power of the beast. God has raised up a horn of salvation. God has raised up power for us. Salvation for us. God has done this. God did this in the fulfillment of many prophecies. Look at verse 70. It says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. Zechariah has sat in silence, thinking about what God is doing, thinking about what he knows about God, about God's Word, about the prophets. And no doubt he has spent days and days connecting how this One who is coming how His Son and the one who is following, how they will fulfill all that the prophets have said. God has done this. It was no accident. God has intentionally done this. This is why He can prophesize that these things are happening and then they happen because God is the one at work. God is the one that saves us. God raised up Abraham. He raises up John the Baptist. Who, who comes and prepares the way for Christ? The point is is that God did all of this himself. Salvation is not through our merit, our effort, our ability. It is because God has redeemed us according to His tender mercy. Do you know that? Is that how you think of salvation, friends? Do you think of your need? Do you think of what God has done? The third thing I want us to think about as we think of salvation here is that it is accomplished through Jesus Christ. Our salvation is accomplished through Jesus Christ. We have a great need. God works salvation for us. He provides the answer. And the answer is through Jesus. This is the good news. This is of great joy for all people as we read in Luke that Christ the Savior is born Not just that He was born, but what He does in His life. What He does in His life. We we don't see the name Jesus here in Zechariah's song, but it is all throughout the idea that this is who He is speaking of. First, He talks about this horn of salvation from the house of David. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were descendants of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi. But Jesus is a descendant of the tribe of Judah through David as would be prophesied. Jesus affirms over and over again that he is the promise of Abraham. The Savior was, was coming. John, John, Zechariah says that John in verse 76 is, he is going before the Lord to prepare his way. As he's is he speaking of John, he says John will go before the Lord to prepare his way. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was more than just a human baby. He knew that this was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who God would redeem His people through. Zechariah refers to Jesus in verse 78 as the sunrise from on high. This is a reference to Malachi 4.2 that says, "...the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. This is a a prophecy of the Messiah that will come. And Zechariah ties it directly to Jesus, to the one who will come. And he says that He is that sunrise from on high. Jesus Himself said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Luke goes on. Later, Luke Luke writes the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts in chapter 4, Luke, Luke records for us the testimony of the apostles after Jesus has gone and they've begun, the ministry of the church has begun to form, and they are questioned by the religious leaders. And John stands up and he states, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is No other name under heaven which has been given by which we must be saved. It's in Acts 4.12. There is no other name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. This is the importance of the Gospel. This is the importance of, of what we do through International Mission Board and sending of missionaries and bringing the message to people who do not know, who do not have access to the Gospel, to proclaiming to those around us that you need to trust in Christ. You need to know Christ. You need to trust in Him. He is the only way of salvation. Do you know that, friends? Have you trusted in Him? This Christmas Can you not just celebrate the birth of a child, but your redemption through what that child has done on your behalf? That He has saved you. Salvation is through Christ alone. Fourth, fourth thing i want us to consider so the first was that salvation is god provides salvation for those who are in desperate need second is that god is the the author of salvation he is the one who works our salvation third is that salvation comes through jesus christ and fourth salvation means the forgiveness of our sins salvation ultimately means the forgiveness of our sins in in verse 77 it speaks of this it it it, that salvation, what God is doing, what this, this one who will come that John is, is to go before, that he, he will lead to forgiveness of our sins. Now, the Jewish leaders were looking for a political Messiah. They wanted someone to come and to, to free the, the Jewish people from, from the Romans, from their captivity, from others taking over and ruling their land for them. That's what they wanted. But God knew and knows that our real need is not external. It's not to, to fix the government. It's not to make America great again. Our real need is forgiveness of our sins. A change of a heart. A change from the inside out. New affections. New things that we love. Desires not to sin. Not to be ruled by sin. To live For the glory of God. To live to make Him known. That's what we need. That's what salvation ultimately is. Salvation is the forgiveness of of sins. The redemption. The transformation of our heart. A new life. Have you experienced that? Do you know of that? Do you desire that? That's what Christ came to give. God sent his son that that we would be forgiven that we would be forgiven for our sins. And and the importance of this is that that God is just. This is this is amazing, okay? Think, just stop and think about this for a moment. The fact that God can be can be perfectly just. Okay? And that he can have tender mercy and offer forgiveness. Those two things stand completely opposed to each other. If God is perfectly just, I'm perfectly guilty. How can He make me not be guilty? Have you thought about this? If 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 someone came before a judge and they were clearly a murderer, they had clearly murdered multiple people, the evidence was, <clears throat> was as strong as could be, if the glove fits, you must convict. Whatever. Okay? And, and it's, it's, it's obvious that this person has murdered these people. And the judge stands and proclaims this man is innocent. There would be an outcry. Would there not? That's not justice. And yet God can take me and you and our sin and our sinfulness And all of the things that we have done against His law and against Him and against each other. And He can pronounce us forgiven. How can He do that? Well, He can do it because it was done at a great cost. Romans 3 talks about about God being the just And the justifier through Jesus Christ. This is what Christ came to do. This is what the forgiveness of your sins mean. The forgiveness of your sins was not just God saying, ah, He's a pretty good guy, so I'll let it slide. He can't do that and be just. The forgiveness of your sins means that Christ came, God Himself came in the flesh. And on the cross, A miraculous thing is happening. On the cross, Jesus Christ is bearing the weight, the guilt, the punishment of our sins upon Himself. God is crushing His Son, the scripture says. Because He takes our guilt. He takes our penalty. As He hangs on the cross and the, the, the fellowship that has always existed between the Father and the Son is broken for this moment and the, the weight and the wrath of our sin is taken upon Christ. Christ is standing in my place. He is taking what is due to me. What I deserve. What I have earned. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is not something that we should take light. Forgiveness is infinitely costly. The Son of God, God Himself, came in the flesh of Jesus Christ and lived for me, died for me, took my sin upon Himself that I would be saved. Oh, if we would realize this, how would it change our lives? Would we not live differently? Would we not understand that verse that says, for you have been bought with a price? We have been bought with a great price, my friends. Live. Live as though a billionaire just freed you of all your debts. And you would be so joyous for them and you would tell others of what they have done for you. Would you not? Would you not think this is the greatest person? Look what they've done for me. Christ has done so much more would we live for him with that joy with with that thought with that idea of what our sin cost and what God willingly lovingly gave for us leads us to the fifth point the fifth point is that salvation results in a changed focus in our lives salvation changes our lives because we know of what God has done for us we understand and we comprehend it should change us right? Well, that's the idea here. Look at look at this in verses 74 and 75. It says, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, what? That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That through God saving us, it would result in a new life. The Christian life is not just about being healthy, wealthy, and happy. There's, there's lots of people that will peddle this idea that, that just get saved and then you'll be happy. You can get saved and experience tremendous trials. And often you will. Because we live in a world of sin. But you learn to experience them with great joy. Because we understand what's going on. We know that God is for us. We know that he is working these things in, in our lives to, to bring us closer to him. To make us more like Christ. To, to make us hate sin more. That we would live for God. Not just for God's benefits. There's a difference, isn't there? Do you live for God or do you live for the benefits of the Christian life? Here the idea is that salvation changes our life completely. It changes our focus. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live unto and for the glory of God. To make Him known. To make Christ known. To have Christ live through us. To live according to Christ. To be disciples. Ones who wish to follow and learn and imitate Christ. And to show others to follow and learn and to imitate Christ. Does that describe your life? Does that describe how you understand sal? salvation. God has done this. Oh, that we would be moved by salvation.